The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bible, if you would, this morning. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We are working our way through the book of Corinthians this morning. And we're going to get into the passage in just a moment. Before I get there, I want to just ask, uh, you're going to ask a question that you're going to think it has nothing to do with anything we're talking about this morning, but I'm just slightly curious. Um, how many folks, when you talk about, I don't even know how to say this, right? Um, pop. You just call it pop. That's what you, you, you call Pepsi, Coke, you call it pop. Let me see your hands, okay? All right. How many folks call it soda? You call it soda. Okay, just to just me, right, and Justin, and a couple. Okay, right, that's the right way to do it. But anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, okay. uh, let me ask you a question this morning. How many folks who are pop or soda drinkers, um, you like Pepsi. Pepsi is it for you. You are Pepsi. Oh, oh yes, hallelujah. Wow, that's sad, but okay, Pepsi. How many folks are Coke people? You are Coke people. All right, okay, good. Um, it's funny how this Cola War goes, right? People who like Coke hate Pepsi, and people who like Pepsi. And people who like Pepsi, they, they hate Coke, all right? Uh, how many folks, you're so confident as a Coke drinker this morning that you believe you could pass a blind taste test, you know Coke? Dan, you think so? Really? Well, Dan, why don't you come up here then, all right? Okay. We have some samples here. And uh, don't worry, this is fine. It's been tested. There's nothing wrong with these samples. But then I want you to taste these samples in order, A, B, C, and D. And I want you to taste them. Don't worry about the coloration, all right, or discoloration of these uh, items, okay? Um, Coke or Pepsi is in that color, though. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. So take a sip and just let me know if, you, if it's Coke or even if you can identify it, Okay. Very good. Okay, so you know that, that, that he knows what ginger ale is. Very good. Okay. Root beer. Good. Okay. Wow. Wow. Two for two. Ooh, you saw that look on your face. You knew that was Pepsi. All right, very good. He's exactly right. That is Coke, all right? So I, I don't know. Why we have to clap for him, but that is Coca-Cola. Do you remember the deal about Coke? There, there was a, a saying that they had, um, ain't nothing like the real thing. You Marvin Gaye folks, you understand that groovy song, right? Ain't nothing like the real thing, baby, right? And Coke drinkers, they want Coke. They don't like Pepsi. They say Pepsi is too sweet, right? It's not like Coke or Cola, right? We want the real thing, right? We're talking about a church now in Corinth that believed they had the real thing, but they didn't. They were so preoccupied with themselves and who they were and what they had and, and whose group they were in and whose followers they were. It was pathetic. It, it wasn't the, they thought they had the real thing. It wasn't the real thing. And a church like this is always harmful. Harmful to themselves and harmful to others. 
I don't know about you this morning, but I have a hunch that the majority of you this morning, you want the real thing, right? I mean, why, why not have the real thing? And as a church, we want that. We want our people to know truth, biblical truth. That's why we take our time and we go through books and we want our folks from the youngest member to the oldest member to know how to open the Word of God, how to read the Word of God, how to interpret the Word of God, and how to apply it to your life. We want the real thing. And, and we want a church, I believe, that we, we, we are a group of believers who have gathered together and we have seen the transforming work of the Spirit of God done in our lives so that as we gather together and we're indwelt by that Spirit, we offer or we function as a church as an alternative to the world outside of these walls that's falling apart, that there's something different, there's something unique, that God is real, He's alive, He's a well, He's well, He's doing a work in our midst. We want the real thing. And here in Corinth, they thought they had it, but they didn't. You're going to find as we go through the book, I think you've maybe sensed this already, that Corinth had a problem, that the believers there had a problem with Paul. It's hard for me to imagine the Apostle Paul, but they had a problem with his theology. You know, the gospel was sort of like, oh yeah, Paul, we've been there, we've done that, we're going to move on from here. We want something more sophisticated. We want something that sounds better than this. They disdained his theology, they disdained his authority. Who's Paul? We don't need you, Paul. We have teachers, we have elders, we have folks that are doing a great job. They're smooth, they've got it together. That's what we want, Paul. We don't need you. And we're going to see now as we enter chapter 4 that Paul is going to defend himself. And rightly so. Right? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He met the risen Lord. He's the one who started, humanly speaking, this church. So look with me, if you would, this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We will start at first, verse 1. Um, and as we go through, you're going to see now, as Paul defends himself, he's going to give us three characteristics or qualities of the real deal, the real thing, as far as ministers and servants of Christ are concerned. We come to chapter 4. Let me remind you that we don't find this chapter by itself. We just finished chapter 3 last week, and in that portion we found that Paul was speaking specifically to leaders in the church, talking to them, uh, telling them that he, built the found, he laid the foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ and Christ alone, and it was their responsibility to build on that foundation, that they would be called into account for that. And he sort of ends the chapter, chapter 3, by reminding them that in Christianity and, and Christian leaders, there are no such things as rock stars or celebrities. They're all servants. So remember that as we, we now approach chapter 4, this is the same thought process. Now he says this, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul says, the things I've just told you about leadership, I want you folks in the church of Corinth to think of me as a servant, a minister of God, and a steward. And that word steward's interesting. It was one who was entrusted to manage a household. Um, the household wasn't theirs. 
The stuff wasn't theirs. The money wasn't theirs. They were entrusted to manage it. And Paul says, I want you to think of me as a servant who is managing something that's not mine. And here's what it is. He says, the mysteries of God. Now remember, the mysteries of God is not like Scooby-Doo and the mystery machine. We learned about that a few weeks ago. All right, It's not something that no one knows about. Chapter 2 made it very clear. The mysteries of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God, by his infinite wisdom and knowledge, would send his Son to pay the price for mankind's sin and to bring reconciliation through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so Paul says, I want you to think of us as stewards, someone who manages something that's not ours, and what we're managing is the mystery of God, the gospel. Verse number 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now let me caution you about, about this. Does the Bible speak about faithfulness for all of God's people? Yes. And sometimes we take this verse and say, listen, as tithing, as giving, we need to be faithful as stewards of that. And that's true. But here, Paul is speaking about being faithful in his stewardship, which is the gospel. Okay? That's what he's talking about here. Verse number three. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing of myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. And let me just stop for a minute there because we've been talking quite a bit about judgment. And you know what's, you hear this all the time, you know, Christians ought not judge. And we've covered this before. Um, there is a time and place for judgment. The Bible speaks about it. A matter of fact, in this very book, Paul is he's judging their behavior. And in chapter 5, where we're headed next week, he's really talking about judgment. Okay? There's a time and place to judge. Paul's not saying, nobody can judge me. I like what D.A. Carson said on this point. He says, it is an utterly disast- it, it's utterly disastrous to appeal for judgment when forbearance is called for or to prohibit all judgment when judgment is precisely what is needed. And Paul's not talking about you can't judge me. What he's talking about is this judgment with how he's handled the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he says to this church is this, it is irrelevant what you think about me and my preaching and teaching. And it's irrelevant what I think about myself, how I think. Am I doing this right? I'm, I'm being faithful to this. Ultimately, the only person who can judge me will be God. That's what he's speaking about here. Verse number five. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and shall every man then have praise of God. Paul says, listen, I want you to know something. I'm not worried about how you view my gospel ministry. I'm more concerned with how God views it, because there's coming a day when God will judge those who handle his word. Okay? Let me ask you a question this morning. When we say judgment, is it for you, is, it, is, it, is your first thought a positive connotation or negative? How many of it's negative? I think of judgment, it's negative. That's me. I think of judgment, it's negative. How many, when you think of judgment, you're positive about it? I'm curious. Okay. Eric. Okay, just one guy. Okay. Uh, we usually don't think of it that way. 
But what's interesting in this passage is, at the end, Paul says, when God judges me, I will have praise of God. It is a positive thing for him. He's looking forward to this. It's interesting to note that there are people who are more stern about their judgment than God is. Christian, you better be careful. Some of you folks try to be more conservative than God. Okay? Don't do it. Don't do it. What matters to God is not success, but faithfulness. And that's what Paul's speaking about. Verse number six. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sake, that she might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you uh, be puffed up one against another. And, and what he says here is, is this. Um, in case you've missed it, I have, I, from chapter 1, verse 10, through this point, I've been talking about this idea of leadership and this strife and this fight, and I want you to know something. The example I'm giving you is the example of myself and Apollos. And he says, you shouldn't be thinking, you shouldn't be elevating men, you shouldn't be doing these things. You are puffed up one against another. So this is a bad idea. Christian leaders are not afforded the allegiance reserved for God alone. And what's interesting to note at the end of verse number 6 there is he says, puffed up one against another. And it clues us in that the problem in Corinth was against Paul and Apollos. And people like Apollos. They were smooth. They had the words. And it wasn't that Apollos was wrong, but they compared Paul to him. And it was problematic. So, from verses 1 to 6, now we have the first sign of the real thing. The first sign of what a real servant of Christ looks like. And here it is. A real servant of Christ has the right message. The right message. Paul is speaking about the gospel. Listen to me this morning. Without the gospel, the church of Jesus Christ has nothing to say to the world. Nothing. Nothing. And therefore, it is incumbent upon us to be faithful to the gospel. The real deal is this. We must be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't add to it. Some folks try to make it sound better. They try to make it sound more sophisticated. They add to the gospel. You can't do that. You've got to be faithful to the gospel. Okay? Don't add. Don't make promises in the gospel that God did not make. Hey, if you just trust Christ, you know, your, your life's going to be good. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. All of your wildest dreams will come true. Listen, you start making those promises, you've left the gospel. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away from it. And we do this. Sometimes we try to sanitize the word of God. And we think that Jesus needs sort of a PR guy so that people can see him in a better light. Jesus doesn't need a PR guy. Jesus is Jesus. He's God. You don't have to change anything. And sometimes we, we, we're fearful, like, well, I don't want to offend somebody. Listen, we should not try to offend people just to offend them, but the gospel of Jesus Christ in itself is offensive. And we can't shy away from this idea that, you know, I'm going to leave out sin, I'm going to leave out judgment, I'm going to leave out wrath. You cannot do that. We must be faithful to the Word of God. Faithful. That's, what, that's the real thing. And faithful to the God who will judge. Listen to me this morning. It is of no consequence whatsoever how anybody outside of these walls thinks about this place. None. It is of no consequence how other churches view our church. It is of no consequence how 
a movement or a group or a camp or a fellowship thinks about this place. Let me remind you this morning, we have an audience of one, of one, one person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And so Paul says, if you want to know the real deal, what it's about, you've got to have the right message. And the right message is faithfulness to the gospel, all right? Let's go to number two, verse number seven. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And, and at four there is telling us, he's dealing with, with verse number six, why they shouldn't be puffed up. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst not receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou did receive it? And I want to break this down for you in, in, in language that we understand today. What's Paul saying in verse number seven? Here's what he's saying, modern English. Who in the world do you think you are? Seriously, who do you think, he's talking to the leadership and those who follow, who in the world do you think you are? What, what delusional idea are you following? How self-deceived are you to believe that you can set yourself up as a judge to judge another man's work, his gifting, his service to God? That's problematic, Paul says. You can't do that. And now verses 8 through 10, Paul is going to use sarcasm, Okay? Now, I personally don't like sarcasm, okay? Um, I think sarcasm is a great way to teach things. You know, sarcasm is saying something, you say it tongue-in-cheek, it doesn't mean what you're saying. And Paul's about to do this, and it's fantastic. Paul was very good at this. Um, It just makes me happy inside that he's using sarcasm. And here's what he says now in verses 8 through 10. And what he's doing, he's letting them know, this is how you perceive yourself, Corinthians, all right? but it's not true. Verse number eight, now ye are full. Now you are rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that ye did reign, that ye, we also might reign with you. For I think, I think that God has set forth us, the apostles last, as it is written, appointed to death, for we were made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. And just so that you know, in verse number 9 there, it's, it's reminiscent of a Roman triumphant entry after battle when they come back marching into the city and the, and the generals would be first, the military men, and then the captives would be last. And they were made a spectacle. As they, as they came back into Rome, the crowds would see them. They were a spectacle. They were destined for the arena. These captives, these men and women would end up in the arena given to the gladiator or given to wild beasts. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, man, you're full, you're rich, you have it all. And this is what we are. We're a spectacle. Verse number 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are Ye are honorable, but we are despised. And so he's saying to them, you think you're this, you think you're full, you think you've got all together, you think you have the real thing. He's being sarcastic. You, you, you don't know, you have nothing. And I have to tell you, it, it, it is somewhat harsh there. Verse 11 now, he, got, he goes from the sarcasm and irony to talking just from his heart. He says, even unto this present hour, he's talking about himself now and other disciples, we both hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, and labor, working with our own hands, 
Being reviled, now, now listen to this, this may sound familiar to you. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. Being made as, we are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. That description sounded like Jesus. What Paul is saying is this, he says, listen, you think you have it all, you think you're full, you think you're rich and increased and good with, with, with you need nothing, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. And this gives us a second sign of the real thing. The first was the right message. The second is this, a willingness to follow the master. These Corinthians believed that they were full and rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. It was all about them and who they were and who they knew and their social status and their bracket and their leader and and what they had and what they possessed. They would be credit card centered in our society. And this was not Paul. Paul was cross-centered. It was about the cross for Paul. It was central for him. And this is not a debate over wealth or want. It has no issue. But what Paul is saying is this. I am willing, we are willing to follow the steps of the master. That's what he's saying there. No matter where he takes me, no matter where he leads me, I'm going to follow him. We often like to read the Bible and think, as we read Corinthians, that we are more like Paul than we are like the Corinthians. But the truth is this morning, we are more like the Corinthians than we like to think. And for too many of us, I just have to wonder this morning, if we were serious about following our Savior, maybe there'd be more opposition in our lives. Maybe, maybe if we were more like Jesus Christ in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, in our families, maybe we would not be the beautiful people anymore. You know, the Prince Charming and Princess Buttercup people got it all together. Paul said, I'm going to follow my Savior. And wherever he leads me, I'm going to follow in his steps. Uh, Listen, I'm not talking this morning about being a nutcake and some whacked out guy or girl who goes in, you carry your big family Bible into work, you slam it on your desk, you put it in your locker, and people see it, and you're just abrasive. If you're doing that to do that, you're stupid. Right? I'm not talking about that. But you know, and I know, That as we follow Christ, we will face opposition. There will be things that we believe that as the world sees and hears it, they're going to think we're crazy. It's out of step with our culture. And if we truly follow Christ, there will be times in our life when we don't get invited to go places. When we are ridiculed. When it's not all sunshine and roses. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen. You think you've got it all and you're high and lofty and mighty and you've got all this and that. But look at Christ. If we're his disciple, we should follow in his steps. And so Paul says the second test of the real thing is for men or women who will follow the master. Verse number 14. And, and Paul was harsh with them here. Paul sees a problem, he deals with it. Verse 14, there seems to be a little bit change in his attitude. He says this, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. I warn you. And you can see Paul's tone here changes a little bit. He says, look it, I love you. I know what I said was just harsh, but I'm saying what I'm saying because I really do want to warn you. And he uses the imagery here of a father and his son, a family type of event. And the word therefore warn is nutheteo, and it's the idea of nuthetic. 
admonishing, putting into the mind, getting in their face, talking to them, pleading with them. So now Paul says to these believers who he's just reamed, listen, I, I want to put something into your mind. I want to remind you like a father and son relationship. I want to talk to you now as my children. Do you know something? Parents, you understand this. We can talk to our children differently. Um, I don't know about you, but I've got three boys, and there are times I have been in their face, in their face, and passionate. And it's not because I hated them. It's because I loved them. I didn't want them to go the wrong way, do the wrong thing. I want to, to, to speak truth into their life. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, I want you to, to think of this as a father and, and child relationship. He goes on, verse number 15. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And that word instructors is interesting. Uh, we know that word, it, it's the idea of a schoolmaster, a guardian, someone who was entrusted to supervise children. And Paul says, you've got 10,000 in your church who can instruct and guide, but you don't have many fathers. The, the guardian wasn't the same as a parent. And Paul says, I am your father. This is like a Star Wars moment. Luke, I'm your father. This is, this is what he's saying to this church. I'm reminding you of something here. I be, I, I human, humanly speaking, Paul started this church. He, he, he was the instrument used to convert numbers of them and to see them baptized. And then he says something very interesting here in verse number 16. Wherefore, because we have this relationship, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Ah, it's a pretty bold statement. I'm telling you now, because we have this relationship, I want you to follow me. And this is not blind, cultic, just follow me. We know what Paul's talking about. First Corinthians 11, 1 says, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, look at, I want you to look at my life and follow me. And for the rest of the chapter now, he makes an example in verse 17. For this cause have I also sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of all my ways, which is in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. And what he's saying is, I can't be there. I'm sending Timothy. He will be an example. Now some are puffed up and arrogant as though I would not come, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but of power. For the kingdom of God is in word, not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love? and in the spirit of meekness. And Paul says, listen, I want you to know something. Uh, you got groups there saying, I'm not going to come, I'm not going to deal with this, I'm going to be there, and when I come, you want me to be a father, or you want me to come with a rod? And he wasn't talking about physically beating them, he says, this is the attitude I'll come with. And in his, this we find the third evidence of the real thing. We have the right message, we have to follow our master, and we have to model discipleship. Um, it's imperative that we have the word of God. If you've been here for any length of time, you know the importance we place on the Word of God. We teach it, we preach it, we understand that the Word of God changes lives. But if we're not careful sometimes, I think we just hand people a scripture and a verse and say, go do this. We live in a world today where people just hand everybody books. Hey, are you struggling in your marriage? Here's a book. You struggling in your finances? Here's a book. You want to know how to raise your kids? Here's a book. You want to know how to be rich? Here's a book. And, and books can be helpful, but most of us, all of us know that real learning comes by watching and imitating. 
You want to teach your kids something? You could give them a book on how to whistle. Or you could show them how to whistle. And put your fingers in your mouth and slobber all over the place and say, right? Watch me. This is how you do this. You, you imitate. You follow my example. You, you teach your kids. This is how you catch the ball. You open the mitt. And as the ball comes, you put the mitt, watch this, where the ball is going to be. Not your head, the mitt. So you do this and you close it. You teach them how to skate. Watch me. This is how you skate. This is how you stop. There's a wall. You hit the wall. You stop. Okay? They imitate. And they learn. They learn. This is the beauty of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Not only are we supposed to proclaim the gospel and preach it, we are to be men and women who say, follow me as I follow Christ. Here's how this works. This is what the gospel is. Now watch how I put the gospel into play in my daily life. It's not just proclaiming it and explaining it. It's saying, look it, I want to show you something. And Paul says to Corinthians, you want to know the real deal? You want to know how to live this Christian life out? Then you watch my life, and not only watch it, but follow me. Follow me. Years ago, it, it was like 12 years ago now, I, I had the opportunity to have dinner with my pastor, the guy who I was saved under his ministry, Roy Thompson. We met up in St. Thomas. And he said to me, he's, and, and he started a church in 1958 in his house, 1958. And, and he's pastored from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. He, he, he retired in the 90s and took a church from just a couple people to a church today that runs 2,000 people every week, Cleveland Baptist Church. Amazing work. He said, Rick, I don't envy pastors today which is really encouraging as you're a young guy trying to pastor a church. I, I don't envy pastors today. And I said, Pastor, why? And this is what he said. He said, because everyone who comes through your door has baggage. They all have skeletons in their closets. And they come with real problems. Real problems. Can I tell you something? We've all come with baggage. We all have issues. And his point was that in the 50s and 60s, and, and maybe in the 70s, 70s, there was a sense of, oh, we understand the Bible, homes are intact, this is okay, we, we got a mom and a dad, and this is how it works. And it was easier to instruct people and guide people. He said, today it's not that way. There's real truth in that, my friend. We, we live in a world today of dysfunction. It's, it, it's dysfunctional. And, and oftentimes, with believers today, they, they get saved and they hear the gospel, but for them, because of dysfunction and brokenness and all the nonsense, it really is hard for them to take this gospel and say, okay, this is what this looks like in real life. I don't know if the show's still out. I, th- I think it probably is. The nanny 911 stuff, is that still, is that still playing? You're not in trouble if you're watching. I'm just asking because I've seen it. Is that, is that still out? No, it's, it's done. How many folks know what I'm talking about? Nanny 911 or whatever they call it. Okay. The show used to drive me insane. 
Because you would watch a little three-year-old or a four-year-old corner their parents into a room, screaming and kicking, and the parents, you know, cowering over the toilet to have the child move away from them. By the way, that's not normal, okay? It's just not normal. If you have that issue today and you keep running away from your three-year-old, you need some real help. That is not normal, okay? They have parents for a reason, okay? Parents have been on this earth longer, right? They should know a little bit more. Uh, but I would watch that show, and i got to tell you something. I would get so mad. I mean, I would yell at the TV, yell, you stupid, what is wrong with you? I would throw things at the TV. What is wrong with this? I mean, it's ridiculous. And then it dawned on me that those parents, they really had no idea what they were doing. They had no idea. None. And so Nanny 911 would come in and give them all the nice stuff to do, and they would do it, and it would work. We live in a Christianity today where many Christians coming from dysfunction really have no idea. They've not seen a godly man or a godly woman live out their Christian faith in front of them. They've not seen an example of integrity and honesty and truth. They've not been able to interact with mature believers who know the Lord, love the Lord. They're not perfect, but they've been down this road before. And Paul says part of this real deal is follow me as a Follow me as a spiritual father. You don't know how to put these things into place. You don't understand how the gospel works in your life. Then look to me. Follow my example. And you might think that sounds arrogant, but the truth is that's the way God has designed it. I was um, had a chance on Friday, Dave and I, to go see Sheldon. So proud of his accomplishment. Five years sober. And uh, they always have a guest speaker there. I got to tell you something. You, every now and then, you ought to go to an AA meeting. You ought to take your kids there. You ought to see the brokenness of substance abuse. You want to joke about alcohol, and you want to joke about drugs, and you think it's no big deal. You should go and watch the lives that have been broken, broken by it. And I was really impressed that, that, that the guy speaking was, was Sheldon's, it wasn't, it wasn't your, but you asked him to speak that night. Marcel was his name? The guy's just honest and open and talked about his life and how, I mean, it, was, it was a tragedy. It was a tragedy. And, and what he kept on repeating was this. He said, you got to have a sponsor. you got to have a sponsor. And this guy, was, he wasn't a kid. He was talking about having a sponsor even now at 60, maybe. He's 70. May look good. 70. 70 years old saying, listen, you need to have a sponsor. And this is what he said. He quit talking about alcohol. He said, I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. It's all about me. It was not about the alcohol anymore. He wanted someone to speak truth into his life and say, listen to me. You're selfish. You're self-centered. Stop it. This is not what you're supposed to do. Write a letter. Make a phone call. Be right here. And he was exactly right. They're onto something. That's how God designed the church. I looked at a picture the other day, and it was a picture of when, when Kim and I first came to this church. We took a picture right here, somewhere in the front of the, the, um, the pulpit, and A.J. had a cast still on his hand. Right? I think he was 12 years old. Um, Gregory was, I don't know, seven or so, and David was just a baby. He was just a baby. I got to tell you, I looked at the picture the other day, and I was really young. 
I mean, really young. I mean, there, there wasn't gray hair. There wasn't wrinkles. I mean, I was young. I'm not that way anymore. Let, let me say something. I want you to understand what I'm saying this morning. And I don't just listen to what I'm saying. Um, I came to Christ at the age of 12. I've been saved now for 33 years. I started teaching a Sunday. So I worked on the bus ministry at the age of 15. started teaching a couples class. Okay, listen to how crazy this is. I started teaching a couples class when I was 20 years old. I've been married for two years. Teaching a couples class in a church. I, I went from there and I served in a church for 10 years. I've now been pastoring for 13 years. Okay? I've been married for 27 years. Be 28 this year. And, and I'm on my 13th year of full-time ministry here at this church. I'm in the process of raising my sons. I've got one out of the house, which I'm thankful for. Right? You're responsible now. But it's a funny thing. They keep on coming back. I don't know. Dad, you know, I need some stuff. Okay, I got it. But he's married. He's, he's, he's got his own life doing well. I got one in university. I got one little baby still home. Okay? At 14, little baby still home. Now listen to me. Um, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to be full of pride. But here's what I'm saying to you. As a pastor in this church, I have seen my role over the years change. And I, I do. I, whether you like it or not, I have a sense of being a spiritual father. This is going to sound cultic. It sounds cultic that I'm saying it now. But I don't mean it like that. Listen to me. I want to say this morning, I'm not perfect. But follow me as I follow Christ. If this morning you don't understand how the gospel connection is made between, you know, this is the gospel, and how does this, how does this act as a husband, as a father? Then follow me as I follow Christ. You want to know how to treat your wife? 27 years. I don't have all the answers, but we're doing okay. Follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm not boasting. I'm telling you something. At the age of 12, this gospel changed my life. And it continues to transform me. And I don't have all the answers. What I'm saying is, this is God's plan where he says, listen, Paul says, I'm a father to you. You are my children. You're not getting it. Follow my life. And what I'm saying this morning is, listen to me. Look and follow. Follow me as I follow Christ. And not only me. And this is the beauty of the church. We have saints here who have walked dark valleys. They've buried children. They've had real health issues. They've been through struggles. And now in their 50s, 60s, 70s, may I say 80s, they've been through this. And they should say, and many of them do, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the glory of the church. That's what this is about. That's why we just don't target just the young people. Because the young people don't always have the answers. Many times they're doing the wrong thing. Their brain doesn't even form until 25. And that's the truth. You know it. You've been there. You've got to have this where people say, look at me. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not being full of pride. The truth of the matter is this. I've learned some things about this gospel. I've been applying to my life. It does work. It is truth. Follow me as I follow Christ. Listen to me. I don't know about you, but I I want the real thing. And it's not just Coke. It's the real thing. Coca-Cola, for those who are listening. It's the real thing. The real thing. 
If you're coming to church and this is a game to you and you, it's social or I like it, can I tell you something? This is the dumbest game you will ever play. It, it is dumb. I don't want to play games. I'm 45 now. I'm not living to 90. My life is half over, more than half. I don't want to play games. I want the real thing. And Paul says to this Corinthian church, they, they believed they were full. They believed they had it made. In their eyes, they were it. And Paul says, you're not. You're clueless. The real deal is this. You've got to have the right message. Listen to me. The gospel pertains to every facet of your life. You've got to have it right. It's got to be right. You've got to follow the master. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Not only do I listen to his teachings, my life starts to look like his. And we've got to model this thing. We have to say, look at, I'm not perfect. But I've seen this work in my life and transform me. And it can do the same for you. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's the real deal. And that's what I want. And I'm sure that as you sit here as a believer, the Spirit of God says the same thing to you. This is what I want. And we have that this morning. Let's have a word of prayer.